It's hard to imagine a more consequential week at the U.S. Supreme Court than the one we just saw. It's really not an exaggeration to say that rulings released on Thursday and Friday could fundamentally reshape American life as we know it. Breaking news out of the Supreme Court. They have issued their ruling in a case called New York versus... First, guns. The court struck down a century-old law in New York State which placed restrictions on who can carry a concealed gun outside the home. Legal experts say it's the widest expansion of gun rights in a decade. A legal opinion just came. Then came abortion. This is a court that has just upended a half-century of law of a constitutionally protected right uh, to abortion. In a case originally centered around a 15-week abortion ban in Mississippi, the court went even further and said Roe versus Wade, the constitutional right to an abortion women have held for 50 years, should be struck down. So we're going to do something a little different today and take a little more time than usual to dig into all this. The moment really is that significant. First, I talk with CNN Supreme Court reporter Ariane DeVogue about the abortion ruling and what it means for so many in this country. Then CNN's Ellie Reeve takes us to Oklahoma, where a gun rights group is actively working to make a state with some of the weakest weapons laws in the country even more gun friendly. It's June 26, and this is a special Sunday edition of CNN Five Things. I'm David Rind. Ariane, we're talking on Friday afternoon, just hours after this ruling on abortion came down. And this 5-4 decision on Roe is historic for, you know, so, so many reasons, one of which being we have already sort of seen it. So did the final ruling differ at all from that leaked draft opinion we saw earlier this year? It was almost exactly the same. Justice Alito hewed really closely to that draft opinion. He did take some time to respond to the dissent and add a couple of things. But his major points that we saw in that draft opinion were in the final one. He said Roe is egregiously wrong. He said the right is not found in the Constitution. He said that the issue belongs to the states and that women have political power and they can use it in the states if they want to press for uh, political action. And he also tried, as he did before, to wall this case off from other cases that have the same or similar legal reasonings. Those are cases like on gay marriage, the right to contraception, the right to interracial uh, marriage. He basically said abortion is different from those cases, even though there's some of the same legal reasoning, because abortion ends potential life. Yeah, and I want to get to some of those other cases. But on abortion, was that really the thing that just because it did not appear in the Constitution that this ruling should go away. That's exactly it. This is a major, major victory for opponents of abortion for over these past 50 years have said again and again that you can't write rules into the Constitution. They said the Constitution does not mention abortion and therefore it should be left to the political process. Okay, so opponents say you can't write rules into the Constitution. But have we ever seen justices take a right out of the Constitution? That's exactly how the justices started uh, in dissent. And keep in mind, that dissent was not written by one of the liberals. They wrote it together, making it all the more uh, powerful. And that's really rare. And it's interesting to see that Justice Stephen Breyer, who is leaving the bench probably as early uh, as next week for his retirement, he's actually leaving on an opinion that rolls back rights that had been uh, 
a part of the court's docket for his entire tenure. That's how big this is and how rare it is uh, to overturn such longstanding uh, precedent. They, uh, The three liberals, they wrote that biting dissent, and this is how they ended it. They said, with sorrow for this court, but more for the many millions of American women who have today lost a fundamental constitutional protection, we dissent, that they lost a constitutional protection. Right. So how does this play out now on the ground for those women who have lost that right? Anyone looking to secure an abortion, what does it look like for them right now if they want to do that? So it goes back to the states. And here's the complication is that about half the states have laws on the books or will soon uh, that will ban abortion. So that means, as Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg used to say before she died, that if Roe is ever overturned, what it's really going to impact is poor women, women who can't afford to travel, women who can't take the time off of work. And we've seen that play out, as you and I have talked about, in Texas. Because remember, the Supreme Court earlier this term, they allowed that unusual Texas law to go into effect. That brought uh, abortion to near standstill in Texas, and it meant that people were flooding over state borders trying to get the abortion. We're going to see the same thing now, but here the distances might be further, and it might be harder and harder to get some of these appointments. The court's decision to do so will have real and immediate consequences. State laws banning abortion are automatically taking effect today, jeopardizing the health of millions of women some without exceptions. So extreme that women could be punished for protecting their health. So extreme that women and girls were forced to bear their rapist child. Now that's going to have repercussions. For instance, maybe a state will try to pass a law and say, you can't travel to get an abortion. Or maybe they'll say, you can't send medication abortion in the mail. Oh. We're going to see now a whole host of new laws pop up on top of the fact that we're going to see more than half the states, a large swath of America, bar abortion. That's some of the things we're going to see coming forward. As the Attorney General has made clear, women must remain free to travel safely to another state to seek care they need. My administration will defend that bedrock right. If any state or local official, high or low, tries to interfere with a woman's ex exercise in her basic right to travel, I will do everything in my power to fight that deeply un-American attack. You mentioned that in Alito's opinion, he kind of walled off some of these other cases, but that's not what we saw from Clarence Thomas, right? What did he say about uh, other cases that kind of use this reasoning? Well, that's what's so fascinating here is that, as the dissent pointed out, they're not all on the same page because Alito, in the opinion that Thomas joined, said, all we're doing today is this. But Clarence Thomas wrote separately, explicitly calling the court to revisit those other cases, uh, cases that he feels have shaky legal reasoning. And the dissent jumped right up on that. They said something like, you know, Clarence Thomas is not a part of the conservative majority project here. So they are really signaling that um, those cases that have been on the books that have some of the same legal reasoning as uh, Roe v. Wade, those now will come under attack. And maybe today what Alito says stands, but just look down the road. You and I will be talking about this uh, in the weeks and years to come because they are definitely going to be challenged. 
What does this victory mean for opponents of abortion rights? Because while recent polling from Pew found that about 6 in 10 Americans say abortion should be legal in all or most cases, there is a very loud and you know passionate group of people that have been working towards this outcome for a long time, and they've been leveraging courts at all levels to do it. For as long as I've been covering the court, there have been opponents of abortion who have been talking and hoping that one day the court would overturn Roe v. Wade. And that only happened because of President Donald Trump's three new nominees. It is an important precedent of the Supreme Court. By it, I mean Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Been reaffirmed many times. Casey is precedent on precedent. And one other point I think is interesting. Remember Justice Kavanaugh's hearing and remember that he was really saved by the vote of Republican Senator Susan Collins. And she said, you know, he told me that uh, he respected what's called stare decisis, suggesting that he wouldn't overturn Roe v. Wade. He said it should be extremely rare that it be overturned and it should be an example. You have obviously full confidence. I do. But it's something you saw all along at every confirmation hearing. All the conservatives said, oh, yes, we respect stare decisis. But as a Supreme Court justice, they can vote to overturn it. And that's what they did today. What's interesting is that Justice Sonia Sotomayor, uh, in opinion, just a few days ago, she ended a dissent. It was another opinion where the liberals had lost. And she said, I dissent and I fear where this conservative court is going next because she really feels like uh, they are moving very quickly. And she suggested uh, in that opinion that this newly constituted conservative court is poised now to reshape contours of some of the biggest social issues of the day. Today, of course, it was abortion. Earlier this week, it was gun rights. And there are a lot more cases to come. They are showing no appetite, the conservatives on the court, to slow down. We saw Chief Justice Roberts today. He said, look, we could allow uh, this Mississippi law, but we don't go have to go as far as overturning Roe v. Wade. But he was alone. The conservatives on this court are moving very quickly, and they are reshaping society. Hmm. Ariane DeVogue, thanks so much for breaking this down for us. Thank you. We'll be right back. On this vote, the yeas are 234. The nays are 193. The motion is adopted. Without objection, a motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. The motion is adopted. When House Speaker Nancy Pelosi brought down that gavel Friday afternoon, it kept quite the split-screen week on guns in Washington. Like I said at the start of the show, we saw a major decision from the Supreme Court in favor of gun rights. But just steps away, the Senate and then the House passed what is being called the most significant federal gun safety legislation in 30 years. But legal experts say that ruling from the Supreme Court could open the floodgates to legal challenges on all kinds of gun restrictions, including parts of what just passed on Capitol Hill. However, gun rights groups in some states aren't waiting around for any of that. They are actively working to lobby state legislatures to loosen gun laws, 
even in the wake of multiple deadly mass shootings across the country. CNN's Ellie Reeve went to Oklahoma to see this for herself. She's here now. Ellie, what did you find? The people we spoke to belong to the Oklahoma Second Amendment Association. It's been around for a little while, but it's really become a force in the Oklahoma legislature since about 2016, when a man named Don Spencer took it over. When I took over in 2016, uh, we had three or four chapters. And we're now over 50 chapters uh, across the state. And it's because... This group, shorthand is OK2A, they track the legislature, they watch the votes. I just keep focused on the same message that we're we're going to get our rights back. Uh, We're going to find the right people to make sure we can get them back. One of the ways they're able to get what they want done is they're up on social media. And so at every vote, you know, he will be texting all of his members. He'll be posting the votes on social media. And then those people immediately call their local legislators. And these people don't represent a large amount of people. So if a thousand people call them, it's a really big deal. So that's one way they're able to put up a lot of pressure on legislators to push gun rights much further than polls show the average person wants them to be. How much further? Like, what is this group after? Oh, did you see my OK2A sticker on the slingshot? Get that. So at the OK2A meeting, we met this guy, Terry Thompson, who's been involved since 2020. Terry's a fun guy to talk to. He's a little bit unusual. He drives a Prius. Yeah, um, I think I'm the only person in OK2A with a Prius. I get kidded about it all the time. He has a wild haircut. He's about 75 years old. His idea is to be armed everywhere. You'll never, ever get rid of all the guns. We've got more guns in this country than we have people. And so the bad guys are always going to find a gun. And if they're the only person there with a gun, then they, they have total power over everybody. A good guy or gal with a gun is the only answer to a bad guy with a gun. In their ideal world, people everywhere are armed and they are able to defend themselves in case of emergency. And that there are people like everywhere you go, the library, the zoo, whatever, who have concealed weapons. The bottom line is you cannot get all the guns. Unless, do you want a police state? Do you want people break, do you want... Authorities. But I feel like you're proposing a private police state. Not private police. So that sounds like a pretty big step. Is the legislature on board with that kind of vision? OK2A takes an incrementalist approach. So there's picking away piece by piece, allowing more guns to be carried by more people in more places and to be able to be used in more circumstances. They got it passed where a felon who's not allowed to carry a weapon is allowed to be in the car of someone who is legally carrying a weapon. They successfully primaried a a Republican who didn't want to bring forward a bill that would have allowed guns in restaurants that have bars as long as the owner was not drinking. And so when that legislator didn't bring that bill to the floor, they held a rally with 200 people within a few days in his town, and he lost his election. Come on. Well, I'm left-handed. Are you? There you go. Whoa. Okay. All right. And then you pull it down and it retracts. Those were illegal till 2016. Don made it legal to carry a switchblade into the Capitol for self-defense, just in case. He keeps it on his body at all times. Oh, and that was a direct result of their pushing, their lobbying. Yes. Yes. That was one of their successes. 
Do you see it as a big problem right now that there are too many moderates within the Republican Party? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, and there's been, and actually we've endorsed, and I have no problem endorsing a Democrat that'll hold to the Constitution. We've done it multiple times. I mean, uh, Oklahoma is a very particular case. Every single county went for Trump. Um, so Republicans have a super majority. Uh, the governor made it a Second Amendment sanctuary state so that if the federal government passes laws restricting gun access that they don't agree with, they won't enforce them within state borders. Huh, right. I wanted to ask about the national picture here because just last week we saw Congress pass through this big gun safety bill, the biggest in 30 years. And there's a lot in it, including money for states that want to implement these so-called red flag laws. But Oklahoma already has anti red flag laws. Like, like, they don't want them at all. So this would kind of be a non-starter there, right? Yeah. The anti-red flag law was just a really interesting issue to me. So red flag law would mean that a court can temporarily take away someone's Second Amendment rights, could take their weapons if they are deemed to be a danger to themselves or others. These guys oppose a red flag law. Oklahoma has an anti-red flag law because they think that any disgruntled person could call and make a report saying you're mentally unstable and then take your guns away and there would be no accountability. But how, how do you propose, if not this red flag law, how do you propose keeping guns out of the hands of the mentally ill? Uh, by the mentally ill being segregated from society if they're a threat to themselves or society. Okay. And then what Don suggested was a very significant limitation on individual liberty, though. He wants to bring back state institutions to house the mentally ill. But, like, would it be before they committed a violent crime, or...? Well, I don't know how you... I don't know how you would ever stop someone that's given no signal that just goes to decide to commit a violent crime. I don't know how you do that. To me, that that would represent a pretty significant restriction on someone's personal liberty. And right, which is what they are all about, this association. Yeah. What about other gun owners in Oklahoma, people that maybe aren't as extreme as OK2A and even these people that are pushing them even further, they don't consider themselves political activists. How do they feel about gun safety in the wake of these mass shootings? Yeah. Uh, these gun rights activists, they don't represent the majority of gun owners. I'm, you know, there's a significant number of Republicans and conservatives who support certain restrictions on gun ownership and when you can use them. I'm coming to the gun range to get some work done. What are you gonna, what are you gonna do? Oh, I'm getting a scope mounted for a deer rifle. So we went to a gun range just to talk to people who clearly like guns, like shooting, to see what they think. The first big thing was it's a very emotional issue. There are a couple of people who wouldn't agree to go on camera who I felt like were almost in tears. One guy was very angry that good guys like himself were being lumped in with criminals like these mass shooters. And so they were going to be punished for what bad people had done. Another guy, he's like, I grew up with guns. I just taught my son to shoot. I just, you know, taught, he had like a 12-year-old with him. He's like, but... I'm a Christian, and obviously, like, there needs to be some controls on preventing people who are mentally ill from getting weapons. There needs to be a higher age limit. There needs to be permitting. You know, in Oklahoma, it's what they call a constitutional carry state, which means you don't need a permit to carry a weapon. You just go in and buy it. There's no waiting period, nothing. There's no restrictions. Um, and it has a higher rate than average of gun deaths. 
So most of the people I talked to did favor some kind of restrictions. Everybody up there in Washington has personal security. They ain't got to worry about this. You know what, you lay down your arms, maybe we would follow suit. But until you guys get rid of living in your multi-million dollar mansions and spend all your security and system and stuff like that, you know, but you want me to give up my rights. No, that's not fair to us. I, I but I also encountered several people who were just in a really emotional state. I mean, it's kind of shocking sometimes when you're talking to a stranger you just met, uh, you know, a man, and they look like they're going to tear up over the state of the country and um, the idea that their rights might be taken away. Okay, so that's people at the gun range. But what about hardcore activists? Like you mentioned at the top that OK2A takes an incrementalist approach to what they want to accomplish. Is that enough for people who really, really care about this stuff? These guys actually have trouble getting death threats from people who are even more pro-gun rights than they are. They want even more expanded rights. One of them, I had the conversation the one time, and I, he said, well, my rights shall not be infringed. I said, so you're okay with prisoners having guns? Yeah, they should be able Don to Don Spencer guns. told us that he specifically gets death threats from people who think you should be allowed to have guns in prison. Prisoners should be armed. No, dude, that, no. And so he made sure that uh, he explained his disagreement with me mm -hmm. and also left a, a, a threat related to that. What so, was the threat? Oh, the threat was to put a bullet through my head. Wow, for not supporting prisoners. You know, I've covered extremist movements for a long time, you know, very separate group of people than these guys. But you do find with the internet that you know, these extremists came up with this term purity spiraling, which is that there's a tendency to push and police activists within a community to more and more extreme positions. And I do feel like that's representative of that effect. Every single person I talked to at that gun range and in the story was worried about the state of the country. And they are very worried that it's just getting really heated out there. And I should say, we have heard from Democrats in the Oklahoma State House speak out against OK2A. After a mass shooting at a Tulsa hospital earlier this month, Congressman Monroe Nichols said, quote, I never understood why OK2A has so much influence in this building, a feeling certainly echoed by gun safety groups in and beyond Oklahoma. Ellie, thank you. Thank you. The Sunday edition of CNN Five Things is produced by Paolo Ortiz and me, David Rhine. Our production manager is Matt Dempsey. Our senior producer is Mohamed Darwish. Our supervising producer is Greg Peppers. And the executive producer of CNN Audio is Megan Marcus. Special thanks this week to Sam Guff. Have a good week. I'll talk to you later. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts.